Well, greetings and salutations, my children of the night. Welcome to John Campy After Dark, which is really nothing more than a live companion video, but you guys told me you wanted me to name this After Dark, so that's what we've done. We gave it a new graphic, I turned off the lights, and it's dark. Everything's better when it's darker, right? Anyway, good to see you guys. How you doing tonight? Uh, my name, of course, is John Campia. Good to have you guys here. And thank you to everybody who's already in the live chat. I can't believe how many people are, are up. You know, for those of you on the East Coast, man, it's already past midnight. What are you guys doing? What are these guys doing? You degenerates staying up this late. Anyway, good to see you guys. Thank you for coming and hanging out with us. And we've got some stuff we're going to talk about here. Now, obviously, what these companion videos after darks are is that, you know, we take the second half of the John Campy show, for those of you who don't know, and we take live comments and questions from the audience. But the problem is we normally don't have enough time to get through all of them that get sent in. So what we do is to make sure people don't have to wait too long to get those questions answered, we do these companion videos. And uh, when we're doing them live at night, we just do them live. You know, we just stream them live and we call them after dark. And it's good to have you guys. You guys like my jacket? Some of you guys in the live chat are saying you like my jacket. I love my jacket. This, of course, is my uh, Joaquin Phoenix Joker jacket. I like this one a lot. I actually just came in today. I just came, this one just, let me get my mic out of the way here. Right? Not bad, huh? I really do like this jacket a lot. I thought you guys might appreciate it for a little bit of After Dark stuff. Uh, anyway, I hope you guys are settled in. I think hope you got your favorite beverage, whether it's a soda or an adult beverage or whatever it is of your choice. And, uh... Let's get into it here, shall we? Let's get started off here. We're going to start off with DC Fan who writes in, Hey, John is a big fan of Superman. Me too. I love both classic 78 and Man of Steel movies. I wonder what scenes do you prefer in the classic 78 movie to Man of Steel? For me, entire origin story, death of Clark's father, Clark becoming Superman uh, was done much better in the classic movie. I don't know that I would agree with that. I think there are certainly elements of it. I'll tell you what my favorite part of the original Superman is. It's where I think Christopher Reeve really sh shined was when Lois dies in the original Superman, right? As he like he screams out in pain and he, he turns the world in reverse and all that kind of stuff. That's an incredible, incredible moment. But, I mean, they just both took such different approaches um, to the movie. And look, I, I know this is an unpopular opinion, but I, I really, except for a few things here and there, I really do kind of prefer, um, the, the, Mar I was going to say the Mark Hamill. I don't know why I was about to say Mark Hamill. I really do prefer the Henry Cavill, which kind of rhymes with Mark Hamill, I guess. I really do prefer the Henry Cavill version. Um, I like, I certainly like stuff on Krypton more in the Henry Cavill version. Um, although the one thing about the Christopher Reeve one, as he ventures out into the winter wilderness, right. And he throws the shard and he gets the fortress of solitude. I mean, that, that was pretty powerful in the original one too. I don't know. I think there's some, a lot of pretty cool comparisons there. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Next up. Um, Scott Brown writes. I just don't understand Disney putting the last two Pixar movies on Disney+. Plus. Pixar had four films make a billion, and five films make over $700 million. So the stupidity of putting uh, their last two films on there for free, I just don't get. Soul would have been successful. Yeah, I think what they were... Um, I think what they were thinking... There were two things. One, the pandemic is a big thing. And with pan the pandemic, it especially affects kids' movies. Right. 
because there are parents who may be okay with going to the movie theaters themselves, but then you're going to have parents who have kids that may be more hesitant about taking their families there. I'm not saying I agree with the decision. I'm not saying I agree. Hell no. But I do get what they were thinking. So it would have been a, a bigger struggle to get parents with kids to bring their kids to the theater. And they were really in a mode of wanting to experiment with some stuff. And again, I don't agree with their decision at all, but I, I, I can see what they were thinking. You know what I'm saying? I can see what they were thinking, even though I don't agree. All right. Good. Uh, well, good thoughts there, Scott. Next up, Root writes, John, John, you're awesome. And you're wise, Root. So wise. Um, thanks for everything you do. I know you've got this before and that you're busy, but when you get a chance, please watch the entirety of Person of Interest. Oh, yeah. When I just have three weeks of free time to watch an entire series of person of interest. Uh, it's such a great show and it's now in HBO max. You know, I have heard a lot of great things about person of interest. And I even once a number of years ago sat down, so, you know, I'm going to start watching person of interest. And I watched the first one or two episodes and I remember thinking, this is pretty good, but that I just never got around to it after that. I'm not really sure why I didn't. Cause I liked what I had seen. Um, but man, I, at this point, I don't know if I'm ever going to get a chance to do it. Cause that's a tall order. It's not like, Oh, when you got five minutes, Hey, when you got five extra minutes, or, Hey, if you got a free evening after dinner, like person of interest is a very long show. So I don't know. I, I hopefully one of these days I will be able to try that. Uh, anyway, Jesse Keller sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. And also in the live chat, uh, raddest nerd says why the last man is fucking awesome. Uh, I mentioned this a little bit earlier on the show today. I don't love why the last man so far I'm intrigued by it. I'm certainly, I liked it enough in the first three episodes that I'm going to continue at least for a few more episodes. There's enough potential there, but it's a very dour, you know, show. And on top of that, Yorick is very unlikable. York is very unlikable. And, and it's kind of like what I was saying in the Snake Eyes movie. When you really don't like your hero, it's difficult to get into the movie. Or in this case, into the TV show. And York is really a whiny little piece of garbage. But at, at any rate, at any rate, I do think there's enough there that I've enjoyed so far and I will keep going with it. So uh, there's that. And by the way, Miguel Espada sends in a super chat batch in live chat as well. Thank you, Miguel. Appreciate that, man. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, we're at Suthius who writes, Karen McGregor, I mean, Connor McGregor is trying so hard to stay in the limelight that it's kind of sad. Uh, brother man threw a drink at another person at a red carpet event. Uh, I once had respect for him, but that has long gone disappeared after this BS. Oh, listen, him, him throwing a drink at what was it, like another kind of subhuman. What is it? Machine gun Kelly that he threw a drink at? I mean, I could care less about either of them. I could care less. He threw a drink at somebody. I lost respect for Conor McGregor when he decided to put people's health and safety at risk, throw a metal trolley through a packed bus window and send some people to the hospital. I mean, he literally could have ended people's careers because of his little publicity stunt temper tantrum. Right. And that's when I lost, I was a big fan of his before that. And now I only, the only reason I watch Conor McGregor fights now is to watch Dustin Poirier and Habib Nurmagomedov beat the shit out of him. That's the only reason I watch. That's the only reason I watch his fights in the UFC anymore is so I can watch Dustin Poirier or 
Habib Nurmagomedov, who did it once, and I'm sure he'll do it again uh, if he ever comes out of retirement. I just I only watch his fights now to watch him get the crap kicked out of him. So yeah, that's that. Uh, and by the way, uh, Dal Barham. Uh, Oh boy, uh, Giuseppe's Gaming synced up and Brandon Beal all send in super chat badges in the live chats. Thank you guys. I appreciate that. And Brandon sent like a, a thank you $10 one. Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate that very much. Um, okay, let's keep on going here. Thanks for your thoughts on that, Suthius. Uh, Holy Jeebus writes, kiss, kiss, gang, bang, John. I'll never live that down. Have you guys checked out the James Wan malignant? It was pretty good. And it felt like Wan was exploring his inner Sam Raimi, some cheese thrown in with some hyper violent and dark gritty humor. My friend and I thought it was fun. Yeah. I I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't like it all that much. This was brought up yesterday as well. Some people were bringing up malignant yesterday as well. I kind of started off thinking this is just way too cheesy. Like even just that first scene of, hello, this is Dr. Doctor, and I'm the doctor of doctors, and I have this patient, and oh my goodness, my patient is doing all this undoctory things, and we don't know what to do. Oh no, the patient is doing that. Ah! And I'm like, really? And I get it. I get it that that was kind of like an homage to the old style stuff. You know, somebody wrote to me today and say, John, you know, a lot of your criticisms of Malignant were actually things that were by design and it was on purpose and it was meant to do that. I'm like, that doesn't make it any better because if a chef makes a dish and he purposefully makes it taste like shit, just because he tells you, oh yeah, it tastes like shit, but that's on purpose. I meant for it to taste like shit. Oh, well, in that case, it's delicious. Yum, yum, yum. No, then it still tastes like shit. I don't care if, I don't care if somebody takes a bad thing of your movie and then you say, oh, but that was on purpose. Oh, well, then that magically makes it good. And of course, it's all subjective. And I didn't hate the movie. Don't get me wrong. I did not hate. I'm a big fan of James Wan. But for me, I didn't hate Malignant. There's certainly the mystery aspect of the movie I certainly thought worked. Like that was the part of the movie that was really keeping me in it was the mystery. The horror parts weren't really working for me. A lot of the other, I thought the acting was bad. Uh, Anyway, but the mystery like almost as like a pure, you know, serial killer murder mystery on that level. It kind of worked for me and I, and I, I could appreciate it for that, but I didn't, I didn't love it the way I was kind of wanting to love a James Wan movie, but whatever, that's just me. All right. Uh, next up, uh, we've got uh, Stony Baloney writes, I know he picked universal, but Netflix off, uh, offering Nolan full theatrical makes sense to me, as I'd assume an Oppenheimer biopic would be amongst Nolan's smaller budgeted films, so less financial risk in terms of when they make their money back. Yeah, I mean, I really thought there was a, there was a good chance. I mean, I honestly thought Nolan was going to go with Sony, and we talked about that on the show earlier this morning, right? I honestly thought that there was going to be... Um, I thought I was going to go with Sony. I really did. And I thought if it was going to be anybody else, I thought maybe Netflix. Because Netflix, they said, they publicly said, we will do whatever it takes to get into the Christopher Nolan business. That's exactly what the guy said. But he ended up going with Universal. And that's fine. And when you read the report in The Hollywood Reporter about everything, like Universal really bent over backwards. Universal really bent over backwards to give um, to give Christopher Nolan just about everything he wanted in there. And 
at the heart of it was at the heart of the whole thing was the whole idea that he wanted a 90 to 120 day uh, exclusive theatrical exclusive window. Right. And right now the standard theatrical window is 45 days and universal was apparently willing to go. Okay. We'll give it the longer one. We'll give it the longer. Um, we'll give it the longer theatrical window. And there was a lot of other stuff they gave him too. So again, I thought it would have been very interesting if Christopher Nolan had gone to Netflix, because then you would have seen Netflix breaking their tradition and actually releasing movies in theatrical exclusive windows. But he opted to go with Universal, and I think it's actually going to be a pretty good. Uh, it's going to be a pretty good fit. All right, next up. Uh, we've got Rhett Proctor writes, I honestly can't wait for the boys season three. Me too. You guys know how much I love the boys. I think season three has the potential to be the best so far. And also I think soldier boy is a variant of captain America hero. Oh, well, that's obvious. I mean, that's, they're not even they're There's, they're not even trying to pretend anything else. Like even in the social media feeds, right. That uh, the boys and uh, Netflix or Amazon was putting out for the boys. You see uh, Jared, not Jared Padalecki. Um, why am I freezing on? Who's the guys in the live chat? Who's the guy who plays? Who's the guy who's going to play Soldier Boy? The other guy from Supernatural. It's not Jared Padalecki. It's why am I freezing on Jensen Ackles? That's it. First guy to put it in was Ricky. The other was Manory, uh, Leo, also and Fred. So, so Amazon put out an image of Jensen Ackles in his Soldier Boy costume, right? That is clearly clearly a Captain America knockoff. And it even said in the social media post, he's your captain now. So it was obviously a big play on that. It was obviously a huge big play on that. Okay, next up. Uh, Let's see. We're at BK Dan who writes, "Uh, John, I say if Shang-Chi does get banned from China, which it has not been, everybody's acting like it's been banned in China. As of right now, it has not been. It may end up getting banned, but as of right now, it's not banned in China. Okay, if it gets banned in China, uh, it'll draw a third weekend bump and pull about 45 million. Ooh, that's that's ambitious. That's optimistic. I don't think that. Uh, and, and the weekend, because people will be curious about why and get people to want to see it again. Uh, final worldwide, about 350 to 375. Yeah, I think that is really overly, that is really, I think that's overly optimistic to see it go up to a $45 million third weekend. That would be insane. That would be insane. I No, I just don't see that happening. I love the optimism, BK Dan. I love the optimism, but that is not happening. All right, BK also writes, John, the following countries are showing Dune on September 15th. Belgium, France, Luxembourg, Norway, Switzerland, Sweden. My prediction, domestic is $42 million opening weekend in the USA. Yeah, I, I just don't know. I mean, you know, you guys all know, right? That my most anticipated movie right now, my absolute most anticipated movie is Dune. Like, I think Dune is going to be the winner of the best picture at the Academy Awards. Now, that's just a blind guess. Ask me again once I see the movie. Maybe I'll totally change my mind about that. But I am so looking forward to this. I cannot wait to hear what audiences think about it uh, once it opens up. I mean, today, I mean, that's today that it's opening up in a lot of these countries. And I cannot wait to see this damn thing uh, next year. Cannot wait. Or next month, I should say. All right. But but uh, I just, I don't, don't know with, 
with Warner Brothers being idiotic and releasing a day and date on HBO Max, I just don't know how good it can do at the box office. I just don't know. Well, we'll have to. I hope. I hope you're right and it can make at least forty-two. I hope you're right. I don't know though. Fingers crossed. All right. Next up, BK Dan writes, John. In my opinion, the film that did the best non-linear origin was Highlander. It certainly did a fantastic job. Uh, the first, because let's not talk about the others. They don't exist in my reckoning. Yes, to me, no, none of the other Highlander movies exist. There is only one. There can be only one. And that's the original Highlander. Highlander 2 doesn't exist. Highlander 3 doesn't exist. Highlander 4 doesn't exist. None of them exist. The TV show's fine. The TV show's... Who was the name... Who was the star of the TV show? Was it Adrian Paul? Was that the guy who starred in the Highlander TV series? Anyway, the TV series was fine. I I, kind of dug the TV series. But yeah, that original Highlander movie... And you're right. The way it did non-linear... And a bunch of you guys are saying in the live chat that, yes, his name is Adrian Paul. Thank you, guys. All right. And I'm getting more comments about my Joker jacket. (laughs) I do like this Joker jacket a lot. Um, But, yes, that first Highlander movie is actually in my top 10 list of my all-time favorite films. It really is. All right. Next up, uh, Ike Nuoko writes, uh, like you, I hate it when people say that the DCU rushed their films and failed because they didn't follow the MCU formula with origin slash solo films that built up to a Justice League film. Rob wonderfully answered my tip before, and I also wanted your thoughts on my rebuttal. Uh, one of six. According to their logic, Man of Steel and Green Lantern should have been masterpieces in the eyes of critics and fans since they were solo origin films that fleshed out popular heroes who could potentially build up and lead to a DCU like they did with Iron Man. Uh, The DCU did start off with solo films in Man of Steel and Wonder Woman to lead into Justice League, yet the Joss Whedon Justice League got terrible fan-slash-critic reviews and barely grossed more than Ant-Man and the Wasp. $657 million versus $622 million. Let that sink in. Um, lack of setup solo films didn't hurt the box office of 2016 Suicide Squad or change the fact that Wonder Woman was praised in Batman versus Superman, change the fact that most people hated the Martha scene in Batman versus Superman, change the fact that most people hated Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor, and didn't change the fact that Cyborg was the most praised character in Zack Snyder's Justice League, despite his setup coming from a two-second email clip in Batman versus Superman, and didn't hurt the box office of Aquaman, despite his in intro coming from an email clip in Joss Whedon's Justice League. Finally, between 2008 and 2012, the MCU came out with six films to build up to Avengers. Between 2013-2017, DCU came out with five films to build up to the Justice League. Both studios took four years to build up to their team-up films. According to their logic, the MCU rushed. Um... Six to six, their franchise rushed their franchises and didn't take enough time to set up their cinematic universes. Yet this discussion stems from how the MCU took the right approach to setting up their universe and how the DC should have followed their formula, even though both took four years. Well, I mean, it's not it's not an apples to apples thing, though, Ike. I mean, it's not an apples to apples thing. Let's just get that out of the way right there. Uh, By the way, uh, Mike, I stand everything MCU sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. I appreciate that, dude. Um. But, but no, it does, I can't help but shake my head, like, just go, oh my God. When I hear people go, well, the reason that uh, DC didn't have the same success with Marvel is because they didn't do enough individual films before doing a team-up film. That's bullshit. Never, ever, ever, ever say that, okay? Never say that. The reason, this is it, bottom line, 
The reason that Marvel has had a level of success in the MCU that DC has not yet been able to enjoy in their DCU is this simple. They didn't, DC didn't make movies that the audiences and the critics loved. It's just that simple. It has nothing to do about how many solo films did they do before they did team-up films. has nothing to do with that. Nothing. Nothing to do with it. Everybody wants it to be about a formula. Oh, what's the formula? What's the recipe? What's the pattern? It's the pattern that makes it. No, 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 no. Good movies is what makes things successful. Did Avatar... You know, the James Cameron thing, currently the biggest box office hit of all time. Yes, it's above Endgame now. Not not for long, but Avatar is back in top spot again. Don't forget that. But did Avatar have seven individual character build-up films before doing Avatar? Did they have a Stephen Lang solo film before he ends up on Pandora? Did they do a solo film about Sigourney Weaver's character first before she ended up on Pandora? Did they do Michelle Rodriguez's solo film before what her character was doing before she ends up on Pandora? And then they no, but guess what? It ended up being an Academy nominated film and it is the number one box office film of all time. It is not about an effing formula. It's just about making good movies that audiences and critics love and attach themselves to. And the DCU didn't do that, at least not to the degree that, you know, uh, that the MCU was is doing it. Now, look, if you ask me to compare the first Iron Man to Man of Steel, I take Man of Steel every day of the week, twice on Sunday. Right. To me, no, no question. Man of Steel is a better movie than Iron Man one. No question to me. But. The reality is that a lot more people and a lot more of the critics and a lot more of the audiences liked Iron Man 1 more than Man of Steel. Man of Steel did not do a good enough job of getting enough people to actually embrace it and like it and enjoy it, either on the critic side or the audience side, and they just didn't do it as well as Iron Man did. And so when they were coming up with another MCU movie, guess what? Audiences were already now more predisposed to it than they were to the DCU. And the DCU put out like Batman versus Superman, a movie I like, by the way. But again, the audiences and the critics, they were all split on it and nobody kind of knew what was going on. It had nothing to do with formula. It's all about winning. It's all about making good movies that the audiences and the critics embrace. And that is just something that the MCU has done better than the DCU has so far. So far. But anyway, yeah, that's that's just kind of my take on that. Uh, anyway, um, all right. Okay, I'm not seeing... I, I expected when I said that Man of Steel is better than Iron Man, I expected to get a lot of hate in the live chat, but I'm not seeing a lot of hates. Okay, good, good. I mean, I've seen people like Brian Hepburn and, and uh, Den71 saying Iron Man is better. I respect that. If you think that, that's totally cool. We're all film-loving brothers and sisters here. If you prefer Iron Man over Man of Steel, that's awesome. I personally prefer Man of Steel by a mile. And I like Iron Man. Don't get me wrong. I like Iron Man. I do. But uh, yeah, Man of Steel every day. Uh, That's just me. All right. uh, By the way, before we move on here, uh, uh, 
Meshack82 sends in like a $20 super chat badge saying victory. Thank you, Meshack82. Appreciate that very much. Thank you for the support, dude. I appreciate that. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Master Nameless writes, hey, John, I agree and hope Disney would keep X-Men separate from the MCU. Me too, but that's not what's going to happen. Also saw the new trailer for Dune at AMC while seeing Shang-Chi the second time. Uh, In this Dune trailer, no HBO Max was implied. It only said in theaters on October 2nd. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. Um, I've had a few people write to me about that. First of all, I had a buddy of mine. Uh, He might even be watching the show right now. But I had a buddy of mine uh, text me the other day saying, and he texted me a link to this trailer, right? And it was a, it was from one of the Warner brothers, uh, official YouTube accounts where there was a trailer for Dune, like a little sizzle for Dune, a little teaser for Dune. And it said at the end in theaters only on a certain date. Right. And they're like, John, did you see this? I said, yeah, but what, here's the thing though. What Warner brothers account was it? And it was like Warner brothers, Thailand, or it was it was Warner Brothers from a country, but I said, is HBO Max in that country? And they were like, oh, no, it isn't. Well, see, there you go. So that's why it says in the trailer in that country, it says only in theaters. But here's the thing. In the movie theaters, do you think AMC Theaters is going to agree to show in their theaters a trailer for a movie that ends with saying, hey, you can watch this movie on HBO Max. AMC's not going to let you do that. Regal's not going to let you do that. Cinemark's probably not going to let you do that. I mean, they might slip one in here and there. But yeah, if you see a Dune trailer in a movie theater, I think there's a very, very high chance that the end of the trailer will say in theaters on such and such date. It won't say only in theaters because that would be a lie, but it won't mention HBO Max because the theaters will never put up, will never advertise HBO Max in the theaters. So while I wish there was something to it, man, while I wish there was something to it, uh, there really isn't anything to that, unfortunately. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed, though, but it's, get, it's getting too late for that, unfortunately. All right. Uh, Aiki Nuoko also writes in again. Basically, gap in quality had nothing to do with formula and everything to do with a great script fleshed out with great direction and uh, got filtered through great acting and coherent storytelling, which the MCU succeeds at and the DCU struggles with. All this from a DC from a DCEU fan. And again, basically, I agree. I agree. It's Marvel has just done while listen, DC has had some tremendous successes, right? Joker made a billion dollars, got nominated for best picture at the Academy Awards. It won best lead actor at the Academy Awards, hugely successful, ultra fantastic film. Aquaman made over a billion dollars at the box office and has had a lot of fun. Shazam. I don't care what anybody else says. Shazam is a fucking delight. That movie is a fucking delight. I love that movie. James Gunn's Suicide Squad. Oh, it fell on its face horribly at the box office. Oh, it flopped like hell. But that movie's great. Man of Steel is great. I mean, DC's had successes, but they have not been able to string together a consistency in their success to the level that a... Um, that the MCU has. The MCU has just done a better job of it 
so far. We'll see what the next five years look like. But I, I honestly, I think the future for the DCEU looks good. Or forget, I don't need, I shouldn't even say the DCEU anymore. Just say DC movies. Because, you know, Robert Pattinson's Batman's not going to be in the DCEU and the Gotham PD show's not going to be in the DCEU and all this kind of stuff. But I think the future of the DC movies looks bright. Will they succeed? Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. And by the way, uh, Prestonian sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Prestonian. Appreciate that, dude, very much. Uh, all right. Let's move on here now. Uh, we've got uh, BK Dan writes, John, big brother watching. When you were ranting, albeit with good cause and, and reason about AMC, you get a notification from AMC. Gotta love coincidences. Or was it a coincidence? The world may never know. Okay, so for what BK is talking about, I don't know if you guys were watching when this happened, but it might have been yesterday. I was doing the show and I went off on this freaking rant about AMC. That is still my favorite movie theater chain, by the way. Y you guys hear me piss and moan and bitch about AMC and their idiotic a uh, and their idiotic CEO a lot, but they are still my favorite movie theater chain. They are my go-to movie theater chain. I still have a lot of love in my heart for a lot for a lot of AMC because uh, obviously I worked with them for a number of years. But as I was going off on AMC the other day, it's just funny because. Uh, on, on Windows 11 here, I had this notification pop up. It was an AMC notification about like one of my upcoming A-list movies that I have that I have tickets for. Right. But it was just kind of funny that as I was going off on AMC, this little AMC notification came up. It's like, ooh, are they watching? Are they watching? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. All right. Uh, thanks, BK. Uh, Mark Neto writes, Hey, John, saddened to hear of Norm McDonald's passing. Yeah. Uh, now both McDonald's have left Norm and Mike, uh, both great Canadian kids. Also, let's remember Phil Hartman to RIP. Yeah, well, I, yeah, Phil Hartman. I mean, that's obviously ages ago now, but man, I, I remember when I was a kid and, and hearing that Phil Hartman had passed away, I loved him on Saturday Night Live. I loved him as a voice in uh, the the uh, Simpsons. I'm Troy McClure. I used to love listening to his voice in the Simpsons. But do you guys remember Mike Myers's masterpiece? So I married an axe murderer. Do you guys remember that? I, I, I mean, it's an old movie now. <laughs> Actually, it's really weird to think about it. But but so I married an axe murderer is now an old movie. But. That movie is a bloody masterpiece of a comedy. I love that movie. And Phil Hartman actually has a small role in it as a, uh, you know, a warden of Alcatraz. Like he's, he's a warden of the island, but he also does the tours of Alcatraz, right? And he starts telling the stories. He, he would piss in the empty ocular cavity of the man's skull or something like that. It was just like one of the all-time great moments in one of my all-time favorite comedies. But yeah, Phil Hartman, but yeah, Norm Macdonald passing away. That dude was freaking hilarious, man. And I said on the show today, I just for the life of me do not understand. I just for the life of me do not understand how Norm Macdonald was not bigger than he was. I mean, obviously he was big. We all know Norm Macdonald, but he his name to me should have been up there with with like Kevin Hart. It should have been on that level. You know what I mean? He should have been that big. And I just don't, for the life of me, I just can't understand how he wasn't because his talent was just so great. Anyway, yeah, it was really sad to hear about his passing. Willow writes, 
I think another option is that Disney makes an Avengers film with Simu Liu as Shang-Chi, but his character gets cut in the version that's released in China. I don't know how you do that. That happened to Cloud Atlas, which got 40 minutes cut to be approved by the Chinese censors. But yeah, the thing is, remember, as of right now, Simu Liu has not been banned in China. All right. Every... Look, for those of you who don't know what the drama is going on, okay, so this old interview from about four or five years ago that Simu Liu did while he was in for on a Canadian little radio show while he was doing, um, I think it was in the first one or two seasons of Kim's Convenience. Bloody awesome show, by the way. If you're not watching it, go on Netflix, start watching Kim's Convenience. It's freaking fantastic. Anyway, he was doing a little interview, and in one interview on a Canadian radio show from like five years ago, he told a story where his parents said that China was kind of like a third world nation and that they saw people starving. That's all he said. Now, what has happened since then is that everybody in the media, myself included, have been talking about that and wondering, as a result, will China ban Simu Lu? When meanwhile, China hasn't actually said anything about it. The only people talking about Simu Lu and that old interview that he did is us. We're the only ones talking about it, at least for now. So far, China hasn't said shit about it. But everybody's getting all worked up about what's China going to do about it? What's China going to do about it? I mean, even my show, we're talking about what's China going to do about it when really right now they haven't done anything, nor have they said anything about it. They haven't banned the movie. They haven't banned him. They haven't done anything of that sort yet. They may, they may not, but so far they haven't. But let's play that game, Willow. If they do ban him, right? You can't shoot a movie with a character that has any kind of a relevant role in the movie, like other than a one scene cameo, but you can't have Simu Liu in like 20 scenes in an Avengers movie and then cut out those 20 scenes. Like who, who on earth is Dr. Strange talking to there? You're going to edit it. So a CG out Simu Liu and she just looks like Dr. Strange is talking to a wall. What did you do to avert that crisis in China? Blah, blah. Instead of saying Shang-Chi, they go blah, blah, blah. And then he's just talking to, a, I mean, you can't do it. So unfortunately, no, that would not be an option. That would not be an option. Uh, all right, next up. Uh, we've got Black Frost writes, living in the small city of Thunder Bay, Ontario. Can I just say Thunder Bay, Ontario and the surrounding area of Thunder Bay. If you guys ever get a chance to visit, it's, it's not a thriving metropolitan like Toronto or New York or anything like that. It is some of the most gorgeous countryside. It is just beautiful. Thunder Bay, Ontario is gorgeous. I, I used to love going through Thunder Bay and hanging out around there. Anyway, uh, living in the small city of Thunder Bay, Ontario, we don't get many uh, we don't get many big comedians coming to perform. But I had a chance to see Norm Macdonald and Kevin Nielsen. I also really like Kevin Nielsen perform stand up together. It was great seeing two SNL vets live. He will be missed, man. I'll tell you what. Kevin Nielsen hasn't been able to do much since Saturday Night Live, but I used to really like him on Saturday Night Live, like an awful lot. I really did. Thanks for sharing that, Black Forest. All right, Michael H. Jones writes, I follow box office closely on Sunday morning of Shang-Chi's opening weekend. Disney was reporting a $71 million three-day weekend and an $83 million four-day weekend. Both estimates, according to Deadline Industry Insiders, were already reporting $90 million for the four days. Disney seems to underreport 
a lot more than other studios, though other studios do it too. And quite frankly, it doesn't happen a lot. But when it does, the industry insiders are always right. Well, no, they're not always right. They're always close. They're always close, but they're not always right. Uh, And Deadline is the only one who reports this. Uh, my, My question is, why don't they just use the industry insider's projections instead of the studios? In the end, the numbers are going to be what the numbers are regardless. Uh, why do the studios have to be the ones to report them? Thanks for all that you do. Uh, well, listen. What happens is Sunday morning, there are two different box office reports that happened. There's the weekend estimates and then the weekend's actuals, right? There's the estimates and there's the actuals. The estimates come out on Sunday morning. And sometimes the studio will report their estimates, whatever. Other industry insiders will report their estimates, whatever. Sometimes one is closer than the other. They're always relatively close. They're always relatively close. And now a lot of people then say when Sunday box office numbers come out, it it never fails. I swear to God, guys, for 10 years... Every Sunday, or like when I I get on social media or if I'm doing a video or whatever and I talk about box office reports, it never fails. Somebody says, well, wait a minute. How do they have box office when it's still Sunday and we people still haven't seen it on Sunday yet? It's because they in this industry now, they have it down to such a science that when they see Thursday night, Friday, and Saturday's numbers, they can with freakish accuracy, predict what the Sunday numbers will be, right? They can generally predict what the Sunday numbers will be. And so on Sunday is generally when the box office report comes out for the weekend. Now, then on Monday, the actuals come out, which is the final numbers. And a lot of the times they're bang on what the estimates were, but they're always extremely close. They're always extremely close. So it doesn't really matter. You know, whether you get the studio's estimates, which will be close, whether you take the inside industry's estimates, which will be close, it doesn't really matter. You know, the numbers are going to come out on Sunday. The guesses are going to come out on Sunday. And then Monday, you'll get the actual final tally. And like I said, the studios will be close. The insiders will be close, probably closer, but it's all irrelevant because the very next day the actual number comes out. So it's not really, it's not really a big deal. It's not really a big deal. Uh, by the way, double uh, BS Studio or B Double B Studio sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, Double B. Appreciate that, dude. Um, all right, let's see here. Uh, where are we at? M Dorsher writes. Just saw Dune in IMAX this Tuesday night, and the movie is fantastic and epic. It's clearly, it, it's clearly feels like a part one. Hans Zimmer's music feels like another world. It was worth the wait, eight out of 10. Yeah, I've been having a bunch of people overseas writing to me who have already had a chance to go and see the movie. Almost, not exclusively, but almost everybody that I'm hearing from is raving about the movie. It's it's good to hear, but everybody's raving about it, at least the ones that have seen it. I've heard from one or two people that weren't so fond of it, but honestly, it's it's been dozens of people writing to me saying that they absolutely loved it. So I can't wait to see it for myself. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on it, M. Dorsher. All right, Matsev Jada writes, one realizes how much of a fan they are of someone. Let me try this again. One realizes how much of a fan of someone they are by just how much it hits. 
Rest in peace, Norm MacDonald, a true goat. I encourage everyone to check out some of the many hours of hilarious film of him on YouTube. Deeper you go the rabbit hole, the more you will laugh. That's true. I know Rob was telling me, Rob and I were talking um, earlier today before the show started. And we were talking, uh, we always do, we always we always jump online and start talking and we just chat for about 20 minutes, uh, about 9.40, because the show starts at 10 a.m. Around 9.40 is when Rob and I will jump on and we'll do a quick sound check and picture check and stuff like that. And we'll chat every day for a while. And he was telling me how about how he did that. He went down this big rabbit hole yesterday of Norm McDonald stuff. And it's, it's true. Once you start going down that rabbit hole, man, it's, you just find one hilarious thing after another, after another, after another, after another. And, um, he, the guy was brilliant. You know, what was so great about him. It was that deadpan delivery of his, that, that, that whimsical straight laced, almost confused delivery. Wow. I mean, why would you do something like that? I mean, it was, it was his delivery that his delivery was his, like it was his completely identifying factor. You know what I mean? I just cannot believe he's not around anymore. It just bums me out. All right. Next up. Uh, a real battle axe rights. One of two. The goat Norm McDonald has passed away. Norm is the reason I love comedy. His weekend update is the goat. I used to love him and Dennis Miller were probably my favorite Saturday Night Live uh, weekend update anchors. Dennis Miller, who was great at that. I, he might Dennis Miller may be my all-time favorite, but Norm McDonald was awesome at it too. Anyway, no one else comes close. His stand-up is unlike anyone I have ever seen. Dirty work, screwed, and the Norm show are all severely underrated. Um, his interview style on his podcast and Netflix show was next level. Every interview he gave was wholly original. The man could make me belly laugh unlike any other human on the planet. I'm gonna go have a cheese sandwich and watch OJ clips. Fuck cancer. Yeah, man. I I you know. And one of the things I said on the, the show today, I think I said today, not yesterday, was, you know, a lot of times when we hear about a celebrity passing away, it's, I kind of approach it in a joyous way of looking back at the incredible life they had and the great art that those, like we just recently talked about Michael Constantine and I had a little bit of a personal connection, but, you know, we're talking about just the, the, the art that they gave us, right? And when one of the older celebrities passes away, I kind of take an approach of a celebration kind of approach, like looking back at the incredible art they gave us that will endure forever, right? But when someone like Norm MacDonald, who passes away at a relatively young age, I, I feel more of, I feel more like I, I want to lament, not just at his loss, but what that his loss means we're never, we're not going to get, those of us who didn't know him personally, we're not going to get more of that incredible art the, the art of comedy, and I believe comedy is absolutely art, but we're not going to get any more of that art, that magic that he would weave into the atmosphere of our culture. You know what I mean? And, and it really bums me out that we're not going to get more of that wonderfulness. You know what I mean? So anyway, there's uh, there's that. All right, next up. Uh, Gozer the Gozerian writes. I love that name. Uh, love the show. Thank you so much, Gozer. You, Rob, and Aaron are the best. Thank you so much. Can you, without being too spoilery, say how significant of a role do the original Ghostbusters play in Afterlife? I've been waiting since the summer of 1989 for this film. Stay safe. I'm not going to say a bloody word. I'm not going to say a damn thing. Not, I'm, I mean, you say, without being spoilery, can you tell me a spoiler? No, I, I'm not going to say anything about that. 
All I will say, and the reason Gozer is asking, for those of you who don't know, when we were at Comic Comic Con, when we were at CinemaCon a few weeks ago, uh, Sony Pictures like totally surprised us by bringing out uh, Ivan Reitman, the 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 director of the original Ghostbusters films, and his son Jason Reitman, who directed this new Ghostbusters, out on stage, and then they shocked us by saying, "Oh, by the way, right now we're going to show you." the whole movie enjoy. And then they played ghostbusters afterlife for us, like totally surprised us played the whole movie for us. All I will tell you is that I really had a good time with the movie, like a really good time. I think the vast majority of you are going to have a really, really fun time watching this movie. But as far as particulars, I'm not going to go into that. No way. No way. Sorry about that, Gozer. Not a chance. Uh, but I will tell you, I think you're going to have a lot of fun watching this movie. And I certainly cannot wait to be able to go back and watch it again. Okay. Uh, next up, the Artura writes, uh, Jim Giannopoulos, uh, advocate of theatrical windows, was just ousted at Paramount. I don't know if he was ousted, but anyway, uh, with reports that uh, Shari Redstone was upset that he didn't send Quiet Place 2 and Top Gun to Paramount+. Plus. Uh, what does this signal going forward for theatrical exclusivity on that lot? Um, I think Paramount, well, first of all, they would never be able to release Top Gun on Paramount+. Plus. There's just no way with the contracts and everything, there's no way Tom Cruise would ever approve it. I mean, so that's out of their control. With with the contracts and agreements they have, there's just no way that Tom Cruise would ever let them do that. There's just no way. I think right now Paramount, Paramount, let's face it, it's not just now. For the last five years, Paramount has been in trouble for like five years, maybe even longer than five years. They've had the odd hit here and there, but they are a studio in trouble. And right now, they are so, they seem to be more than anybody else really desperate to make their streaming service, Paramount Plus, to become competitive with Netflix, Amazon, Disney Plus, HBO. And they're just not. They're just not in the same league. And I fear that instead of just focusing on making great content, I fear that Paramount in desperation, in desperation to become relevant with Disney Plus and HBO and stuff like that, they're going to burn the studio to the ground. I think they're going to burn the studio to the ground. Um... I and I, I think they're in really, really bad shape. I think they're in really, really bad shape. And we'll have to see if it how long it's gonna take them to figure out that they're on the wrong path. Disney has already started to kind of figure it out. Warner Brothers is starting to figure it out. Let's see how long it takes Paramount. But I uh, Paramount's but listen, we've been talking about the fact that Paramount's in trouble. We've been talking about this for years. I mean, it's not new, so now we'll just see what uh, we'll just see where things go from here. All right, next up, Pepper Jackman writes. 
Uh, Chapek steered Disney through the pandemic. No, he did not. Uh, pretty successfully, too. He did nothing. Stock price sitting at roughly 180. That's because the pandemic started to, to level off and pe- they were allowed to open up the parks again. That's why the stock started to increase again. Up about 100 bucks since the pandemic started. Again, that's because of how low it had sunk. The 180 thing is just a recovery thing of that. Uh, top studio for films this summer. ScarJo drama aside, he isn't doing that terrible in my opinion. Thoughts? No, that's completely incorrect. And it's not just the ScarJo situation, which he completely botched. We've been talking about Bob Chapek and how he has been botching everything over there since. It started with the complete company realignment. Then it moved on to the entertainment division where he started to demote all the creative heads and started to promote the business people over the creative heads there, giving people who don't have the slightest clue about filmmaking and entertainment, giving them authoritative power and decision-making power over the creatives. Like it used to be that Kevin Feige directed, reported to but one person. Kevin Feige reported to one person and one person only, and that was Alan Horn. And then Alan Horn reported only to one person, and that was Big Papa Bob Iger. There was literally, between the head of Disney and Kevin Feige was only one other person. That was Alan Horn, the great immortal Alan Horn. That's it. Now Kevin Feige has got like groups of five or six people that are going to have decision-making ability over him. Kevin Feige no longer gets to make the choice about where the projects that he's making are going to go. Kevin Feige doesn't get to make those decisions. He just doesn't. And there are so many more people now that have authority over him and get to tell him what he has to do and what he can't do than they did a year ago. And it's not just Kevin Feige. That's the heads of the creative heads of all the various studios as well. Bob Chapek started installing penny pinchers and math majors and business people over the creatives. And that is a recipe for long-term destruction. Not destruction that's going to happen tomorrow. Not destruction that's going to happen six months from now. But that is a recipe, if not corrected and fixed over the next year or two, that is a recipe that is going to lead them down a very, very destructive path. And uh, yeah, it's uh, not good, man. It's not good. Uh, And don't don't credit Bob Chapek with the uh, pandemic starting to level off and allowing parks and things like that to open again. That's the stuff that led to the stock price starting to rebound. It, it wasn't had anything to do with Bob Chapek. Anyway, uh, that's just me. All right. Ryan Loner writes, um, a lot of people are freaking out over Morpheus being recast in the new matrix. Yeah, I know. And I don't understand that at all to which I reply a, we don't know that this guy is Morpheus. I think he is Morpheus, uh, because it's just a trailer and B we don't know Lawrence Fishburne isn't in the movie because it's just a trailer. I'm pretty sure that Lawrence Fishburne isn't in the movie, but I still, here's the problem. Here's the problem. People like I got into this one discussion. It's never a good idea to get into discussions on Twitter, but I got into a discussion on Twitter with this one guy who's like, well, they should have used Lawrence Fishburne. I'm like, well, I mean, I love Lawrence Fishburne. I love Lawrence Fishburne. But if what Wachowski wanted 
was if the story called for a younger version of Morpheus, then like a 30 year younger version of Morpheus, then you got to go with the younger actor. Well, then they just shouldn't have required a 30-year younger Morpheus. They just should have had Morpheus as it is. And they're like, okay, so now you're saying they should have wrote, that you're saying the story should have served the actor. That's what you're saying. You're saying the movie should serve the actor. That's how you make shitty movies, all right? Actors are there to serve the characters, and the characters are there to serve the movies. That's how you make good movies, or to put it another way, the actors are there to serve the characters and the characters are there to serve the story. And these people think, no, no, it should be the other way. The story should serve the actor. We want Lawrence Fishburne. So make your movie in such a way that you can have Lawrence Fishburne. But no, no, no. Write your best movie. What is your best story? And then create your characters and fill those characters with actors that best serve the story. The story is what is there to be served. And if the story that Wachowski came up with is that, that they feel is the best story to tell involves a young Morpheus, you don't change it. So you can go have this one actor in the movie. That's not how you make good movies. That's how you make bullshit fan service that usually ends up failing. And I'm not even looking forward to matrix. And I'm a huge fan of Lawrence Fishburne. But yeah, I never understood that either. Um, okay. Uh, Sidious Swift sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Sidious. I appreciate that very much. Um, again, I don't even have any belief in the new Matrix. I, I don't even have any belief in this movie. Although the trailer is fucking fantastic. I love the trailer. But I don't think the movie's going to be any good. I hope I'm wrong about that. I'll definitely give it a shot. But I don't think the movie's going to be any good. But we'll see. All right. Next up. Uh, let's see. Uh, John Campia's All Elite writes, wasn't crazy about the Hawkeye trailer. I felt the same way watching it as I did with Black Widow, which was mediocre in my opinion, which is what the point of this film slash show other than, inter- what is the point of this film slash show other than introducing the new um, uh, Black Widow slash Hawkeye? It felt super vanilla to me, but I hope it's great. Well, I mean, what's the point of any movie? The point of a movie is to create a piece of content that entertains and delights the audience. And if you can do that, do that, right? That's the point of a movie. That's the point of a movie. And again, I listen, I know a lot of people really did like um, the Hawkeye trailer. I did not. I'm a big MCU fan. I am. And I'm, I'm sure the show's going to be good, but I got to be honest with you guys. I, I thought it was kind of a silly, ridiculous trailer. And maybe the other ones will be great. And I know a lot of you like the trailer, and that's awesome. Don't throw stones at me. Uh, I still have belief in the show. But yeah, I, I did, honestly, I didn't think the trailer was all that good. I thought it was kind of silly, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. All right, next up. Uh, Morris Morningwood writes, when's the last time you had poutine? Honestly, I think the last time I had poutine was the last time I was in Canada, like two years ago. Uh, Ann and I and our buddy Ryan and uh, my brother-in-law, Ray, we flew up to Canada, hung out with my family on the ranch. There's the Campia Ranch up there. And then we went to my family's, my family's got a cottage on the lake and we went there and stuff like that. And we hit a place and we had poutine. I think that was the last time I had poutine. They don't have real poutine in the U.S. Well, I take that back. I've been to a, one or two restaurants that serve a version of poutine 
that is actually pretty good, but I haven't had like real poutine probably in about two years. All right, next up. Ivan Pietro writes, I feel like the MCU will introduce X-Men with multiverse. Uh, makes the most sense. Not really. Uh, there is no way that they were just chilling during the Thanos, Loki, and Ultron stuff. Maybe they were. I'm sure they would have helped if they were there. Maybe or maybe not. I got money that will hear X-Men news soon. Well, I mean, that's not much of a prediction, Ivan. <laughs> because here's the thing. Kevin Feige said when when the whole thing about the Fox was being taken over by Disney, right? He said, look, I've already got the next five years planned out. I've already got the next five years planned out. Well, guess what? Five years is getting pretty damn close. We're getting pretty damn close to the end of that five years. We're sneaking up on four now. So yeah, we will absolutely be getting X-Men news pretty soon. I don't think multiverse is what they're going to do to bring it in, although that is a possibility. But I don't think multiverse is what they're going to use. But um, it is, look, here's the thing. There are no good theories out there. Every theory I have heard, and I have not come up with any good theories myself, just to be honest, but I have not heard a single good solid theory. Every theory I, I've heard so far, even the better ones, are just littered with problems. Just littered with problems. So that's why uh, Kevin Feige makes the big bucks. That's why Kevin Feige is the guy we trust in this. He'll come up with a way to do it, and it'll be soon. Because, like I said, we're getting close to the end of that five-year window now. That's coming. And so that means really soon we're going to start hearing news. Hell, they already announced that they were going to do Fantastic Four. And guess what? It's not going to actually come out until after that five-year window is done. But it's going to be soon. It's going to be very, very soon we're going to start hearing about X-Men stuff. Uh, and the the wait is almost over. All right. Ivan Pietro also writes, I wasn't that excited for Blue Beetle, but after hearing it was going to be our first Latino lead superhero film, I got excited. Uh, it does frustrate me that it's going to be on HBO. This could not this could have been the next Shang-Chi or Black Panther. Such a shame. Hopefully Warner Brothers reconsiders. They won't. Um, here's the thing. Warner Brothers is going to, they're, they're employing a new strategy, right? They They are going to have some big budget things, and they're going to put that big budget money into properties that they really believe can be hits. But then they don't want to ignore certain characters like Blue Beetle, so they're going to use HBO Max as a little bit of a modestly more safe playground to try to get those launched. And I would say this, could Blue Beetle, look, any movie, any movie could be the next Shang-Chi or, or Black Panther. Any movie could be, but you have to recognize it's very, very difficult for that to be true. It can, it could, but it's also unlikely. It is a much safer approach for Warner Brothers to say, you know what? Let's give a Blue Beetle a shot and let's do it with a smaller budget and let's do it on HBO Max and let's see if the audience gets attached to this character, let's see if we can make this work. And if it does, let's move it up, right? So 
what I would what I would say to people, because you know the same conversation happened when Batgirl news was coming out, and people complaining that, well, why are they doing it on HBO Max and not like a full movie, like theatrical release? I'd say, listen, you should be instead of complaining about what it's not going to be, celebrate that they're doing anything with it at all, and let's see where it goes. Because even if you're the biggest Blue Beetle fan in the world, you have to acknowledge that that's a risky proposition. Doing a Blue Beetle project is a risky proposition. And so I say celebrate that Warner Brothers is taking a chance on it at all. And let's see what happens. See what happens. All right. Uh, Okay, let's move on here. Next up, uh, we've got uh, uh, Kulo69 writes, I totally understand film is subjective, but... It frustrates me to death knowing that there are so many people out there that believe Tom Holland is a better Spider-Man than Toby and Andrew. It drives me crazy, but hey, that's the subjectivity of film, I guess. Listen, you're talking to a guy that I like all of them. I think there are certain aspects that Toby was really great at. I think there are certain aspects that Andrew was really great at. I think there's aspects that Tom is really great at. I will tell you this, though. I think Tom is the best Peter Parker. You know, if you kind of break Spider-Man into Peter Parker and Spider-Man, kind of like we do sometimes, like, you know, like uh, uh, some Batman actors were great Bruce Waynes, some were great Batman, you know what I mean? Tom Holland, to me, is the best Peter Parker. There's just a more authentic, he seems like an awkward high school kid more to me than, than Andrew and Toby were. And I really love Andrew and Toby as well. But I can totally get it. He is a completely delightful Spider-Man. And um, I, look, I, I love all three of them. I'll just leave my kind of personal taste on that. I love all three of them. But yeah, anybody who says that they believe Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man so far, I think they've got a legitimate argument to make for that. I really do. Uh, I think all three of them do. So that's kind of my take on it. All right, next up. Dangerous D writes, Hey, John, sad to hear of Norm MacDonald passed away. Me too. Good Canadian kid whose humor was subtle and dry. And my favorite joke he did, gambling is a terrible disease, but it's only disease that you can win a million bucks. He was one of a kind and will be missed. RIP Norm. Yeah, I love it. He had so many great jokes. He had so many great jokes. Uh, I loved it, but that's good. Gambling disease, but it's the only disease you can win a million bucks. That's so good. That is so jo- that is so Norm Macdonald. All right, Randy writes, Hey, John, I want to know your thoughts on uh, Roger uh, Eggers' next film, The Northman. I love The Lighthouse and his aesthetic and tone and a Viking movie. Give, give me that right now. Yeah, listen, Eggers, I, I remember walking out of Lighthouse, and yes, I knew that Willem Dafoe gave a brilliant performance. And Robert Pattinson gave a brilliant performance. But I also walked out of the lighthouse going, what the fuck did I just watch? All right. What the fuck did I just watch? I mean, it was artistically, it was phenomenal. There was so much artistry and everything put into it. And again, the performances were insane. And the dynamic between Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe was fantastic. But again, I walked out and I was like, what the fuck did I just watch? No idea. Anyway, The Northman. If you watched our coverage 
uh, mine and Aaron's coverage of uh, of uh, CinemaCon, you'll know that they actually showed us a whole bunch of Northmen. They showed us a whole bunch of it. Um, and I mean, they didn't show us the movie, but they showed us like a eight minute sizzle of it. And I tell you what, like Aaron and I both looked at each other. Like when the, the, like this eight minute Northman sizzle finished, Aaron and I looked at each other and we're like, yes, please. Yes. All kinds of yes. I want to see it. I think you're going to be very excited when they start actually doing the actual, uh, um, the actual marketing. But it was funny because they showed us this footage, but first they showed us a recorded message of Eggers, who's actually out there on location, still filming the movie and saying, hey guys, listen, we're going to show you this footage right now, like X number of minutes, but please understand it's not finished. It's, we still have a lot of work to do on it in post-production and please understand that. But I'm telling you, I still was like, I want to see this so badly. So we'll see how that all turns out. All right, next up. Uh, where are we at? We're at BK Dan who writes, uh, John question on off topic. Did you back in the day own a laser disc player? How about you, Rob? Obviously Rob's not here. I never did. Um, I remember my dad, my dad, like a lot of dads, uh, belong to a bowling league and he would go bowling on Monday nights. And sometimes I would go with him. And the reason I would go with him is because at the bowling alley, they had like four video games. And so I would go with my dad and my dad would give me a bunch of quarters and I would play video games. But this is so weird, but it's true. At the bowling alley, they also had video rentals where you could rent for like 20 bucks or whatever it was at the time. You would get a laser disc player and two movies that you could take home for the week. And so it wasn't just renting the movies. You actually rented the video player as well. And my dad uh, would get that, but no, we never owned a laser disc player. We never did. The first thing we got in our house when, you know, for home video ended up was a VHS player. So we never did own a, uh, uh, we never did own the, uh, the laser disc player. No, but we, we rented it a few times, but never owned it. All right. Kevin Rubio. Right, and our friend Kevin writes in, I'm very disappointed you're not in a smoking jacket and drinking scotch and smoking uh, Cohiba for Campia After Dark. The best I can do is my Joker jacket, man. That's the best I can do. That's my absolute best thing that I can do for it. Sorry about that, Kevin. All right, next up. Yeah, maybe maybe next time I'll bring out a scotch and a smoking pipe and a, an old Hugh Hefner smoking jacket and have ladies dancing in the background to smooth jazz as I'm doing the show. But you know what? Oh my God. Now I want to do that. Now I want to do that. I'm going to find dancers you can hire for like a couple of hours. Uh, and by the way, Mark, uh, Mark Vell blah sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Mark Vell. I, I think I'm actually going to do that for my next campia after dark. I'm going to hire a couple of dancers just to stand back there in the background and just move in a very sultry way to like some jazz flute 
or something like that. Have a little bit of background music playing and just for two hours or for for an hour, an hour and a half, they'll just be dancing in the background. I'm totally going to do this now. I am totally going to do this. Somebody who's writing that in crafted is writing. Don't let Anne hear this. Are you kidding? Anne will love it. Anne will think that's awesome. Anne's going to want to help. Anne's going to totally want to take charge of finding the dancers to put back there. She'll, she'll think this is the most awesome thing in the world. Uh, So yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. I mean, maybe not for the next one because the next one might end up being tomorrow. Um, Maybe yes, maybe no, but it, either the next one or a very upcoming one. I'm totally going to do that once just for the, just for shits and giggles. Anyway. Okay. Uh, mukbang reviews, uh, by the way, our friend mukbang reviews sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you. Mukbang. I appreciate that, man. All right. Uh, let's keep going here. Shall we? We got, Oh my gosh, we've gone over an hour already. <laughs> I didn't even realize that. Okay. You know what? Let's, let's go a little bit longer. Let's just go, go, this is going to go longer. And Dominic Gray is saying in the live chat, John's not going to do it. Oh, I fucking am. Oh, yes, I am. I am totally going to do this. I am 100% going to do this. I mean, as long as it's not ridiculously, as long as it's not like ridiculously expensive, right? Like if it's like 500 bucks for, no, no, no. But if, if I can find it like, like dancers who will just come and say, yeah, like we'll, we'll like club dancers or something. We'll, we'll come and dance in the background for like, 80 bucks for an hour, 80 bucks an hour. Sure. I'm totally going to do it. I'm totally going to do it. All right. Okay. Uh, let's see next up. Um, and by the way, Javier Riaz four Oh five sends in a super chat badge. In the live chat. Thank you. Javier saying hype for the dancers. Yes. Hype for the dancers. Okay. Uh, let's move on here. Where, where'd we at here again? Oh yes. Bernard, uh, Gateman writes, I liked Malignant. I thought it was cheesy horror goodness. It worked for me. Uh, I do think it's Juan's weakest horror movie. Uh, what were your thoughts on Fear Street Part 1? I really liked it, and I can't wait to binge Parts 2 and 3. I never did watch the, the Fear Street stuff, so I, I can't comment on that. And again, my feelings on Malignant, I, I think we're very close to yours. I thought the mystery aspect, like what's going on with this girl and this other thing. And, and the way they unwrapped the mystery, I thought that level of the movie worked. I did. At the end of the day, is it a movie I would recommend? It's not. But I didn't think it was bad. Like, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's terrible. It had some good. It had some bad. And at the end of the day, I, I just, it's not a movie I can recommend. But I totally see where you're coming from on that as well, Gaytard. All right. Uh, let's see. Where are we at here? We're at Matt who writes, Greetings, John. <clears throat> I just saw the newest Oscar Isaac film, The Card Counter, and I hate to say that it may be a contender for the worst of the year for me. Incredibly boring and very little uh, blackjack, despite the title. Um, I have heard good things about The Card Counter. I've heard good things about the movie. Um, I am certainly hoping it's good because it's Oscar Isaac, because it's it, there's a lot of poker in it. Obviously, I'm a big poker guy. I'm going to go play in the World Series of Poker in a couple of weeks, going out to Vegas, playing the World Series. Obviously, didn't get to do that last year, but going to go playing it this year. Um, so I hope it's good. I'm hearing from a lot of people that it's good, but yeah, you just took a little bit of the wind out of my sails, Matt, that you didn't like it so much. But thanks for sharing your thoughts on it, dude. I appreciate the perspective. All right. Last one we've got time for here, guys. And by the way, Mukbang Review sends in another Super Chat batch in the live chat. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. All right. Last one we're going to do tonight, guys, comes to us from Sam Fisher, who writes, 
I don't know if I ever mentioned this, but my cousin is Michael Schur, Andy Samberg, and Tina Fey's agent. So he is credited as an EP on TV shows like The Good Place, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Office, and 30 Rock. His name is David Miner. That's pretty cool. I don't have any family members in the entertainment business, which shouldn't surprise anybody because I'm Canadian. And, and Italian. So no, it's, really shit. I, it's not like I grew up around here or anything like that. I have no family, friends, or anything like that uh, in the entertainment business. But that's pretty good that you do, man. All right. Listen, there are more to come from uh, James Wheeler, Sam Fisher, Anonymous, and others. There's actually not many left. So do not worry, guys. We will pick up right where we left off on the John Campia show tomorrow. Of course, tomorrow it's going to be me and the wonderful Erin Cummings. You got, don't forget, you got her new movie coming out here pretty soon. She doesn't have a big role in it, but you see her in the trailer for the new Will Smith film, King Richard. She's going to be on the show with, with uh, me tomorrow, of course. And then when we get to the live questions part of the show, we're going to pick up right where we left off right here. Okay, guys, that'll do it. For this installment of After Dark, do you feel dark? Do you feel dirty now? I, I I have no idea what I'm saying. But listen, guys, thanks for hanging out. And thanks for being a part of the show with us. Uh, to all you guys who have been here either from the beginning of the stream or you just jumped in at some point, thanks a lot. Big thank you to all you guys who... Number one, sent in Super Chat badges supporting the channel, guys. Thank you so much. For those of you who sent in the live questions, you gave us great fun things to talk about, and you also supported the channel. So to all of you guys, a very deep sense of gratitude from me and everybody who's involved with the YouTube channel. Thank you guys for supporting what we do and for being here. And yeah, we're closing in on, somebody mentioned today, by the way, that we're closing in uh, on a quarter of a million subscribers, which I mean, is tiny compared to a lot of YouTube channels. Yes, but it's also a number I never thought we would get to. I never thought we would get to, to, to a quarter million subscribers. So we're going to have to do something to celebrate that. I don't know what we're going to do. We're, we're not there yet, but we're getting close. Uh, so keep your eyes open for that. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for me for now. Have a good restful night. We'll see you guys in the morning for the John Campy show. And until next time, my friends, dancers. <laughs>